It's time for the Manufacturing Austin Podcast, sponsored by Texas Mutual. Welcome. My name is Ed Latson, and this is the Manufacturing Austin Podcast, sponsored by Texas Mutual. Today, our guest is John Anderson, founder and CEO of ATX Specialty Foods. John, um, you know, not everybody starts a manufacturing company. Let's hear it. Tell us about your business. Yeah, ATX Specialty Foods is a uh, primarily a contract manufacturer for restaurants and CPG companies. We produce primarily dips, sauces, marinades, dressings, products like that. Yeah, and well, I mean, that's not something that uh, most people think about starting or, or founding. So, how did you, you know, begin? Yeah, fascinating story. Um, we, I, my background is primarily accounting and finance. I went to work for Goldman Sachs right out of school. I worked in one of their principal investment groups for about three years and parlayed that experience and went to work for a couple of private equity firms, the last of which we focused primarily on food and beverage. And so that was my foray into this. But ironically enough, what the, the predecessor company to ATX was a company called Out to Lunch Foods where we made hummus. And I didn't even particularly like hummus when, uh, when we started it. But uh, saw a unique opportunity in the market and uh it was also an opportunity to move back to austin i'm originally born and raised here and i was living in dallas at the time and so it was an opportunity to come back here what do you think uh your background in investment banking brings to your leadership at atx you know i think a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with the funding side of things and i think that's where we have excelled we have done very well and we have been very successful raising money and raising money at the right time and raising money at valuations and with terms that make sense. And I think that has really enabled us to get through some of the harder times that we've experienced in our you know, close to 11 year history. Well, stick with that because, um, you know, starting a manufacturing company is um, not an easy task. There's not a lot of venture capital interested in and supporting these kinds of initiatives, um, you know, how did you go about getting enough capital to begin? So um, it was interesting. I partnered with a gentleman I knew here in Austin who had some manufacturing experience, not in food, but on the plastics side, but certainly understood the manufacturing arena. And then uh, another uh, third partner who was a colleague of mine in the private equity world. And really, the idea was not to be a manufacturing company. The idea was truly to build a brand, but we would support the brand with our own manufacturing. And frankly, it was probably the best mistake I ever made because we should have never done it. We should have really focused on sales and marketing. But as you can tell from my background, I'm not a sales and marketing guy. You know, to me, you give me an Excel spreadsheet and, and I can run with it. And so the manufacturing and the operations were the part of the business that I truly loved and was passionate about. And you know, through a long history, we ultimately pivoted the business in about 2015, 2016, away from the brand to focus more on the manufacturing because frankly, that's what we were good at. People don't understand how specialized co-packing is. There's a sense that you know, co-packers can make anything. Um, you know, talk about you know, really your business and what you feel like you guys are good at and um, how that might be a, a misperception you know, in the general yeah, absolutely. Point. I think the, the perception is exactly what you just said, that manufacturers can do anything. I can't tell you how often we get phone calls. Hey, can you make our granola mix? Can you do our spice blends? Can you, you know, do this, do that? And, you know, certainly in the food space, it's pretty niche. And so 
for us, you know, we, through our experience with the hummus, we're able to parlay that equipment into, you know, dips, spreads, sauces. And then ultimately what we found was that, you know, consistent, recurring, predictable volume is what we really needed to be successful, especially at a smaller level. And so we really focused on restaurants because restaurants to us could really provide just that versus CPG companies. It's a roller coaster. Mm -hmm. You know, they're going to get into new retailers. They're going to run promotions and the volume is inconsistent at best. And frankly, it was really hard to pick the winners and losers when you're dealing with regional brands. And so for us, our very first customer was uh, Pluckers. And that was a very significant account for us. And then we were able to use that experience in the reputation that we created with them and start working with the free birds of the world. And then it was making condiments for Hat Creek and Hop Dottie and curries for Tarka and so on. And so the restaurant business is really where we found that we like to play the most, but we still have the ability to pack out in retail packaging. And so we still have a decent CPG business. We just don't like to focus there because of the inconsistencies in volume. And predictability. Well, I've told you that I'm a uh, you know regular customer of Tarka. I love I love their Indian food. And you know one thing that I've noticed is how consistent the sauces are. Um, and obviously, that's probably why they're working with you. Um, talk about the challenge of you know the quality and, and food manufacturing, and how do you get it exactly the same every time? Well, I'll tell you. I'm glad you mentioned Tarka. Tarka is probably the best example. You know, when somebody says, "What's your bread and butter? What do you like to do?" Well, of course, you know, barbecue sauce, salsa, wing sauce. I mean, that is right down the middle of the fairway for us. But frankly, a lot of people can do that also. So it's the Tarkas of the world, the curries, the really complicated products that really set us apart because those are the products that people don't really want to do because it's multi-step, it's complicated formulas, they're unique ingredients. And so creating that consistency is frankly what I think differentiates us from some of our competitors, because when you go to the Tarka in South Austin versus the one on Anderson Lane, you're going to get the exact same experience. And that's really what they're looking for, especially as they scale from when we started working with them, you know, half a dozen locations to, you know, close to a dozen today with aspirations of going much bigger than that is they want your experience to be the exact same at every single location, not to mention they want to protect their formulas. You know, something I'm interested in, uh, you know, or at least I notice in the CPG space um, locally, it seems like um, a little bit of the play is to get a brand, get sales and then, you know, sell it, uh, you know, turn it over. And I would think, is that a threat to, you know, relationships with customers if you're really locked in on the CPG market? You know, I think so. I, I also think CPG likes consistency as well. And you don't see CPG companies bouncing around from co-packer to co-packer a lot. Um, typically, if they really hit it big, they could outgrow their co-packer. But they like, they like consistency as well. I think the challenge is kind of what I mentioned earlier. It's just picking the winners and losers. Who's going to get big and who's not? And, you know, there's certainly credit risk associated with these small CPG companies. And that's just something we wanted to avoid early on because... I've been in banking before and I'm not a bank. And I think a lot of times brands want to treat their co-packers as a bank. They want really long credit terms and, and it's just, that's just not who we are. And I think people get confused with, with where, where we play and, and who we are. I know that you also have um, an in-house uh, brand that, that you guys market. Can you talk for a second about Zilks and um, you know what you're doing with that? Yeah, so Zilks was the, the predecessor company. It was originally out to lunch, and then we rebranded in 2012. And, you know, 
given my background, you know, Zilks and the brand was not something we really wanted to focus on. We wanted to move away from that to focus on ATX specialty foods. And so I tried to kill it the best I could. We had it down to a couple hundred thousand in revenue. And before I knew it, it came roaring back and it's back in the seven figures. And we just, you know, we have great products and we're really good at making products. And I think product sells and we just have long-standing relationships with Whole Foods and other retailers. And I think that that ultimately is what has allowed us to be successful with Zilks, despite not running it or managing it like a traditional CPG company. There's so much creativity right now, especially in Austin around food and beverage. Um, you have companies that have been mega stars like Tito's Vodka, Deep Eddy Vodka. Um, I would even put Rhythm Superfoods and some others in that categories. Um, you know, what are you paying attention to and, and what are some of the things happening that we should be aware of? Austin has been a breeding ground for food creativity for some time now. You know, we've, we've said that, you know, when you think about when it's fashion or other industries, you've got LA, you've got New York, you've got other hubs really for us in the food industry, it's always been Austin or Boulder, Colorado, especially on the all natural or kind of what I consider better for you um, products. Those areas have just been breeding grounds for really innovative food companies. And, you know, it's fascinating, you know, and again, I've, I've tried to separate myself from the CPG world, but as I think about where we, when we started and where we are today, just the proliferation of the number of SKUs in the grocery store has tripled in the last 40 or 50 years. It's, it's really coming from some of the ethnic uh, categories and new cultures that have really, you know, blossomed here in the United States. And so, you know, the crafts of the world, the General Mills, the Frito-Lays, those aren't the companies that traditionally, up until more recently, were on the innovative side of things. They focused on what they were really good at, what worked, what was tried and true. And so there was just so much white space for regional CPG companies to pop up and fill that void. And so that's where I think, you know, a lot of companies in Austin, a lot of companies in Boulder, Colorado have really stepped up and, and really created some very you know, unique products. And unique goes two ways. One, it, it certainly gets attention from the buyers, but it's also unique. And sometimes it re requires education and it, it can be slow for adoption. Yeah, you mentioned Colorado. Um, you know, I was just there this summer and walked through the grocery store and I couldn't believe how many brands I was noticing, you know, that come out of Austin. And uh, it's, it's just really great to see that, um, you know, what we're doing here has a national reach and, and you know, really even a global reach. So yeah, it, I think it starts with some of the companies you mentioned, you know, the Scott Jensen's of the world, the Clayton Christopher's, you know, some of those were some of the very early successful CPG entrepreneurs here in Austin. And I think that they've taken that success and they've parlayed it into other ventures, but they've also been very good about investing in small CPG companies and supporting other entrepreneurs. And so I think that's also been a big help for here in Austin. Well, let's talk about the support. You know, I'm, I'm curious, you know, what's your take about the ecosystem? I mean, do you feel like Austin, Central Texas has everything that it you know needs to have to support uh, growing food manufacturing companies? Absolutely. I think it's certainly getting better and better. I think the challenge today as we sit here is probably no different than any of the other manufacturing companies that we talk to in Arma is, is the shortage of labor. I think the rising cost of living has really made it difficult for people, specifically here in Austin, which is one of the reasons why we're looking to move outside of Austin to access better labor. And so between the supply shortages and the rising food costs we're dealing with in kind of a post-COVID environment, or at least was post-COVID and now kind of it's back, right. um, 
but you know, the labor side has been something that's plaguing us for, for some time now, and it just continues to get worse and worse. Well, uh, talk about your move. Um, you know, you say out of Austin, you're still in the region. Um, yes. you know, let's t- tell us a little bit about your plans. Yeah. So yeah, we, it's very exciting. We just broke ground on a brand new 73,000 square foot, uh, building down in Kyle, Texas. And so, um, this is a greenfield project. We bought five acres through a joint venture with some common, you know, investors of ATX. And um, we've been able to design this building to our needs. And it's very, very exciting. We've, you know, had to kind of make do with the space we're currently in. Um, and we've been, you know, pretty successful with that, but, but we're just running out of capacity. And right now those with capacity are the ones that kind of control things. And so this is a big investment for us and we're very excited about the opportunities it's going to give us. Yeah. Well, you talked about, um, you also hope that this could uh, alleviate some of the strain on your need for talent. Um, You know, what are you guys doing in that area that might be uh, an advantage as far as just attracting and recruiting? It's tough. It's tough for a small manufacturer like us. You know, we have hopes to be able to offer health benefits at some point in the future. We're not there today. Um, I know some people are starting to offer that, but for us, it's just we're constantly increasing our starting wage. I mean, we've seen increases in the last 24 months north of 35 percent to get to a competitive wage. And it's just it's, it's really it's a really, really tough environment because just when you hire somebody, all of a sudden they get another opportunity somewhere else for a dollar more. And, you know, I think some of it's a generational thing as well, but it just, you know, I think people are willing to bounce for a very small sum of money. Well, what are some of the other challenges that um, you're facing besides people? You know, we're having supply chain issues just like everybody else, whether it's, you know, brown mustard seeds or something random like that where we just can't get it versus, you know, soybean prices have gone, you know, have more than doubled in the last eight to 12 months. And so we're seeing rising food costs, we're seeing supply shortages and navigating that is is a daily task. And fortunately, we have a fantastic team, but you know, some things are just outside of our control. And part of our job as a contract manufacturer is to create consistency. And, you know, there's so much noise in the background that hopefully our customers never see, but there are, there are times that, you know, it's just unavoidable. I got to ask, man, where do uh, brown mustard seeds come from? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, I don't know the answer to that, um, but I know that there's a ma- there is a, there has been a uh, shortage of brown mustard seeds. And uh, so far, I think we've avoided any out of stock issues uh, with our customers, but it's, it's been, it's been a challenge to say the least. I'm going to have to start calling uh, local farmers here see if we can get some uh, local supply of that. That's, That's right. That's right. Get some greenhouses up for, for mustard. John, I, I see the uh, you know picture behind you. Obviously, you're a golfer, man. Are you going to come out and play in our golf tournament this year? I would love to. Uh, I need to look at the the dates. I know you've sent me multiple emails, and I just <laughs> I need to make it a priority. We're going to twist your arm. Any, anybody that's been in the U.S. Open needs to uh, come out and play in our tournament. Uh, it's uh, it's very, October seventh. So yeah, I'm very I'm very fortunate. My I think you know maybe we've talked about this in the past. My sister works in the golf industry. She works for some pretty high profile golfers, and she's been able to get me some pretty nice swag. So. You know, this was the 2009 major championships and the champions. Unfortunately, it was like the one year Tiger didn't win, but uh, still a very cool background thing. Well, hey, I think that's a great place to wrap it up. And uh, I just want to say thanks. I really appreciate your time uh, talking today. So, Oh, thanks, Ed. Really appreciate you having me on. This is the Manufacturing Austin podcast sponsored by Texas Mutual. We'll see you next time.